Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product. Whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global, our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure, Anthony. Uh, uh, glad, glad to be a guest this time. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite refreshing for you. Um, it is. Yeah, normally, <laughs> I'm doing the podcast myself. And, um, you know, it's always fun to be a guest yourself. It can be. Yeah, it definitely, definitely can be. Um, so I just thought we'd, we'd kick off by just giving the audience a little bit of background on yourself and how you got to your current position as kind of a, a respected advisor within this space. But what yeah. is it in particular that's continued to drive you along this kind of SaaS path? <laughs> well, of course, it's, uh, it's it's not something that, that sort of bumped into me. Uh, I mean, I've been gr- rolling into this gradually. I mean, almost like it took almost 30 years. <laughs> it's, um my background is in the enterprise software space and in my career at a company called Unit4, uh, headquartered in the Netherlands, uh, but but selling at the end in 26 countries around the world, that has provided me with a load of experience uh, in terms of the things that I do today. Uh, I've had, uh, like, typically I headed up, most of my time I headed up um, product strategy and product marketing. So I'm really in, in the interconnection between product, marketing, sales, uh, always having a connection to the board. So, you know, seeing the full circle about things that work and the things that don't work. And yeah. then I started my own business in 2017. And I realized uh, when I left Unit 4, I didn't want to work for another company that's that was of that size. Um, I wanted to use my expertise and my energy to help those software companies that are that are starting startups, possibly scale-ups, um, to avoid the mistakes that um, and avoid the issues that I've seen uh, yeah, holding the company back that I used to work for, that we have to fix and fix at the end. Um, yeah. But to do it, in, of course, in a faster way. That's how this all started. Yeah, I imagine it's given you a very broad view because you've kind of seen, um, I guess, this kind of, for lack of a better term, SaaS revolution from its yeah. kind of early teething days, the start of it, really, um, yeah. to a point now where there's kind of, you know, it's it's so ubiquitous. Um, and sort of everyone's trying to get in on it with sort of varying degrees of results. So you yeah, can give sure. a lot of kind of historical context, I suppose, into this. Yeah, I mean, people sometimes uh, underestimate. Well, I mean, of course, companies that start today, it's it's the it's the obvious choice. This is the way to do it. You know, you deliver yeah. the software as a service. Yeah, and it has all kind of benefits, both for the company itself and also for customers, because customers are now in a in a position whereby they don't take the full risk. And the vendor has to constantly keep up their uh, their mark in order to not yeah and to end up in a situation where customers are getting yeah um, but customers churn because they don't like the value anymore you know mm-hmm. so that there's a there's a good incentive I think with the model um, those companies that come from the license world and I used to come from there often think oh but this is just a deployment thing yeah. you know as long as we get a customer get a product in the cloud we're done. And that is a radical mistake. And that is, I've, I've seen that in the company where I used to work. Um, and I still see it going on, uh, that that it's taken too easy. And yeah. you don't, it's, it's like, and you currently see it also in the car in the industry where, of course, Tesla built, built a complete new 
yeah, uh, change the ways that a car is operating mm -hmm. and deploy it as a car. But in fact, it's like uh, the whole the whole electric electric mantra around it, and the whole concept and thinking and vision behind it is different. Yeah. And then you see come say, oh, you just have to replace the the engine with a battery. <laughs> so, which is, yeah, technically um, possibly ending up with with a similar result, but it's uh, yeah, you miss out on so many different things. That's maybe yeah. I'm taking around on a completely different different topic here. No, I, yeah. I, it's, it's good. I, I think it's um, maybe what you're what you're touching on is is kind of people who maybe have an entrepreneurial instinct and they want to get into a kind of business model that's kind of viable in terms of something that you can set up quickly. Um, perhaps they're not maybe they haven't actually thought about what the value of the product is that they're offering, right? Yeah, well, most of, I think I think there's some well, there's there's two things to that. Sometimes they think that they understand what the value of the product is, but they haven't realized what it really is. And I mean, I, I still speak people on my podcast that said we only started to find out what what is really the, the business case behind this, and up to, up to the point where we where we hit the, the customers uh, and and truly found out what's behind this. Uh, what's what's often what's often happening, and that's more sad at the end. Is yeah. that a lot of companies start with this would be cool to build. Let's yeah. do something with AI. You know? And then okay, I got this they got this thing here. Do you want to have it? And people are like, Yeah, sure, but like why? And um, <laughs> so it just becomes the thing like it's uh it becomes a nice to have, it's a gadget, it, and it doesn't really do what it, what yeah, what customers actually want it to do because people think it's about the features that you offer and how cool it is. Yeah, I often the think customers are not yeah. buying that; they're buying a solution. Yeah, I often think of things like uh, like Google Glass as well. You know, where it's something that's kind of looks really cool, and people like they might stop and go like, "Ooh, that looks really cool. I'd like to try that." But that doesn't mean that it's actually something that they're going to integrate into their life or actually use on a regular basis. I think people can sometimes exactly. create something that that where they get a positive response and they think, "Oh, wow, I'm really onto something." But it's not actually something that benefits people's lives in a meaningful enough way for them to actually pay for it, you know, <laughs> or like yeah, yeah. long term. Like, yeah, or you get to the point like oh, that's expensive. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereby, if you really kind of connect it to a use case and you apply the device, because the, the device at the end has so many, it can provide so much value if you apply it to a to a problem that can only be solved. It can be solved in a radically different way through that that approach. And then it's like, okay, that's cheap. Yeah, that's a completely different. It's the same product, but it's a different uh, different reaction. Yeah, so I'm glad you I'm glad you brought us on to to expensive money because that is kind of the um, the main theme of this um, discussion today. Um, sure. So we're sort of we're talking about how. Um, I guess it kind of becomes a dominant narrative, especially in sort of SaaS thought leadership spaces about funding and how, um, you know, big part of growth is, is seeking out investor funding. Yeah. Um, so the first question I want to put at you today is how can SaaS companies get themselves into a position where it's not just about chasing investor funding to survive and, and why in the current tech climate is this a conversation that we should be having why is this a, a topic a vital topic for SaaS leaders right now 
please stop me at some point <laughs> i can talk about this one for hours um it starts at the end with uh with building a company that is, that is built to last um the first mistake that you can make is think okay i i'm i'm gonna i want to build i want to create a company i want to have an exit in the in, in rather sooner than later mm -hmm. um so it started with the perspective of okay we're building something that has value in the marketplace it's solving a genuine problem that is critical mm -hmm. on the agenda of our customers mm -hmm. and we do it in a way that where we can exceed expectations mm -hmm. so it's it's a customer mindset first uh, make, helping well making sure that you measure your success by the impact that you help them make rather than yeah you know it's going to drive a lot of revenue and we're going to make a lot of profit yeah um that's that is one thing um the other thing at the end, the, well, the moment you kind of take a perspective on that, what you can start to do there is uh, it that will be noticed in the market. Mm -hmm. When customers see that you're in there to help them and and, how, and they see that you can do that and prove that in a way that uh, that they believe in, it's credible, the value will come your way mm -hmm. very often in ways you cannot even uh, predict or forecast for. So you start to grow and you start to fund your business with the most beneficial form of funding, which is customer revenue. And what you then do, first of all, it will help in the product development with, with getting towards product market fit in a faster way because it's about that problem that you try to solve rather than that, that gadget that you try to create. That will start to help you with creating traction and, and towards predictable traction faster than, than, than that. And I'm not saying that's easy. But the moment you get into that position, funding becomes a form of, uh, yeah, it's a source of strength. You can, it's an option for you rather than a set choice. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I'm, I'm oversimplifying things because sometimes, of course, you start out and you have to build such a comprehensive platform that you need a lot of upfront investment from, from others. But if you have the choice to build it first, and then start to look for funding after you've made, hit the milestones with confidence. That is always the way the, the route that I would uh, that, that I would opt for. And that was my, my my point of view five years ago when funding was not an issue at all. And it's 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 still the same today when funding is is a big issue, you know, because it is far harder. Mm -hmm. And I've I've seen I've seen too many companies out there going too quickly for funding because. It was an easy thing to do, relative. Mm -hmm. It was cheap because uh, you know the, the interest rates were also very, uh, very uh, beneficial. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was almost like, of course you do that. Why, why wouldn't you do any anything different? And you forget about building a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. That's what the, the people that fund you actually want from you. You have to remind that people, the VCs out there, um, they want yeah. to invest in those companies whereby they can actually create. Yeah, value because that's what that's about their exit. Um, so that's what they're looking for. What is not beneficial in the market, and I think it's also become more healthy in the last couple of months, is yeah. that in the whole VC model, they, cal they calculate with yeah. the fact that nine out of 10 startups will fail or 99% of startups will fail, yeah. depending a little bit about who you speak to and so on. So the, the question at the end is whether they care enough um, they realize, okay, we have, we have to do our homework, we have to do our due diligence, but okay, we're good as, as long as one or one in 10 or one in 100, uh, depending a little bit on the metric, 
is becoming a unicorn. And the rest, if it fails, yeah, too bad, but then it's, uh, it, that is in our financial model. That doesn't, of course, help uh, uh, founders either. You know, they're pushed into a direction, make big promises, and make, based on the big promises that they've made and committed to, they get high valuation as a consequence, also the, the right funding into the business. Hmm. And then you see all those messages on LinkedIn and the press and the press releases. We've we've di- we've done it. We've nailed it. We've got our funding round. And I'm always like. Who are you? Because now the work really starts. Yeah, I see, see what, what I mean? you're saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So it's like it, um, your having acquired funding is not is not going to mean anything to, to potential customers or partners. Exactly. It, it really goes back to the product and the idea and the use case of the product. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose if you get these things right, because I mean, I think I should make it clear that. You know, this is not obviously an anti-investment podcast. No. So that's not what we're saying. No, no. What we're saying is that um, if you don't get the really most crucial things right at the ideation phase of building a product and getting it to market, that um, it can make um, investment funding or seeking funding a lot more difficult for you. Exactly. Yeah, and it can also make it kind of a, a hindrance or a burden to your business if that's all you have, right? What I see too often is exactly that, you know, um, funding round has been done. Uh, then the, the the objectives are there, and now you have to grow 3x, 4x per year. Mm-hmm. And then you start to miss your first quarter. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, you know? There's, this might, might have been something to do with with a hiccup. Uh, it's under control. And then you hit, you don't hit the second quarter. And suddenly, you don't have to do... 2x or 3x that year, but mm-hmm. then multiply to 5x. Mm-hmm. And you get into the problem is just building up. And what I typically see at the end of it, the funding comes in and it's all in the bank account. Mm-hmm. You sort of loosen up in terms of how you invest it. Mm-hmm. Whereby if you would bootstrap, you would really think about okay, where am I going to put the money in order for, for this to 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 multiply with, with the highest possible um, security? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you spend it in a wise way. And suddenly, when when I and I see it a lot, uh, actually, I came from a podcast just half an hour ago, whereby, um, yeah, there was a uh, there was a posh room to do podcasts and so on, and like you see where the funding of the VC has gone. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, suddenly, there's money to 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 spend on things, and it's almost, it's not always the right thing to invest in. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the idea, the ideal thing at the end is, is, and that's where I come back to. Okay, starting to fund from a position of strength, mm-hmm. whereby you, you know, okay, okay, we can we can run the business without VCs or without investors. It's mm-hmm. now an option. If we do, it might open up that we can start to accelerate faster or can do a particular thing mm-hmm. with a product and a development of it that that is opening up a new market for us. The, the thing that you can start to explore strategically with mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so where i'm going with my my, my train of thought it the, the, starting from a position of strength is you have options and um yeah, yeah that's um that is a really yeah, powerful thing to do yeah so um, it's, like, it, it's like kind of your um investment it shouldn't be about i guess scaling for the sake of scaling it should be about delivering on what your um, 
what your value proposition is. Well, but, but scaling with uh, where you know it's going to work, and that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the point that I that I lost halfway my uh, uh, my point there. The moment you see, okay, if I'm going to get five million, uh, five million, for example, Series A, yeah, that's already in that whole thing. You know, okay, if I spend one million on that particular thing, it will become five or 10 x. If I spend it there with with very high security, it will turn it into debt. But a lot of companies are entering up with, they got all the funding, but they don't know. I mean, they're they're going to spend it in areas where it's here. It's not it's not working, and then that is not working, and then that is not working because mm-hmm. yeah, they're not there yet. It's still yeah. all about experimentation, and that is super super um, a risky area to be in. Costly mm-hmm. area to be in, specifically if you use other people's money. Um, and not only have you got a lot of funding in, but you've also, in return for that, because the VCs, of course, also see that there's a lot of risk involved. You've lost a lot of, there's a lot of uh, shares diluted in there. So you're not owning the full company anymore. Up to the point where you only like own 10% or 5%. And on that journey, all the effort that you had to put in, that's not also what you do it for either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's yeah. I guess it's uh, uh, what you're saying is in a way it's like you have it has to be um, if you are seeking funding, it has to be you have to have a plan for what's happening for it in the first place, yeah. and that kind of comes from having a solid idea of what your product is and what the point of it is and what it actually is. Exactly. Yeah, I see what you're saying. What, what small fires will become big fires as a consequence of this? Yeah, so that is a wise um, investment. Yeah, so it's like rather than thinking of investment as the starting point, we're thinking of the product idea and the value that it offers and how that's going to help us to grow as the starting point. And then then the investment funding is kind of a a utility for us to further deliver that product and expand upon it, right? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's what you're saying. I'm just going to pause you right there to tell you all about the future of SaaS membership. Whether you want to grab one of over 90 templates covering everything from product marketing to customer success, read our exclusive members-only articles with SaaS gurus from the likes of Calendly, Klarna, and LinkSquares, sit back and watch over 1,300 hours of presentations from SaaS experts at some of the world's most trusted brands, or catch up on insights gleaned from the future of SaaS and its 14 sister memberships and their private communities, our membership plans have it all. On top of this, enjoy complete access to our virtual events and discounts to our in-person summits. The membership plan is designed to give aspiring and fast-growing startup leaders the knowledge required to grasp every element of the SaaS landscape, tapping into tried and tested business-wide strategies employed by some of the biggest and brightest companies, both startups and enterprises. To become a member, just head over to www.futureofsas.io and click the membership button at the top of your screen. Now, back to the episode. I wonder if we, I mean, we've we've sort of dug um, we have touched on this already, but um, have you seen what are some of like I wonder if you could get a little bit more specific about like some of the potential with all your experience. What are some of the things that you've seen happen to companies that have uh, have over prioritized investment funding or become too reliant on it early on? What have you seen? What has been the consequence that you've seen? Well, I mean, getting into trouble, and I was, and then having to um, to close the doors. That's the that's the that's the most uh, aggressive yeah. part of it. 
Um, I've seen, I've heard like war stories around this, whereby at some point you get into a crisis meeting. Um, I mean, there's one story, and I'm not going to reveal the names here, but um, whereby the CEO at some point said during the their annual uh, meeting with web employees, okay, this year I got some announcement here. We're going back to one particular niche in the marketplace um, because I believe, well, what I saw is that they started to grow, they got funding in, and they started to hire some hotshots in uh, where where the the repetition wasn't there, and they started to hire people that had a lot of experience in scaling things that have repetition, but they didn't they didn't have a clue how to, to grow a company that didn't have a repetition yet. So they were burning a lot of money, like a, like a million, for example, on the, on the four or five uh, uh, yeah, VPs that they've hired too early. Mm-hmm. Um, then the market in a particular number of areas, their, early, their, their initial customers, that market started to slow down. So mm-hmm. they, it started to flatten, which of course is not, not what the, the VCs were expecting. And there was only one small thing that was still growing. So the, 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 the CEO said, okay, we're going back to that particular vertical, which mm-hmm. is... We're doing three million at the moment, but this is at the moment at the moment is two hundred k, and where we have five hundred customers, where we only have twenty here, and everybody was like, "Are you nuts?" At the end, it appeared to be the right choice because with with that they started to grow, yeah, real traction around the real problem that they're starting to solve, but it could also have gone completely the wrong way because I mean, the going to your investors and saying, "Okay, I'm going to." We're almost like starting from scratch mm. because we say goodbye to 2.8 million, three, three minus the 200K uh, and start start building it from there. Mm-hmm. And not, a, not a nice conversation to have. And I've heard so many stories of that, but it all comes down again. The, 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 the way they save the company is niche down. Don't try to be, and that is, that is I'm linking here to my book as well, uh, to the first three chapters. Uh, narrow down in terms of who you're for and who you're not for. So really acknowledge in your company that you're not the best for every type of uh, company, but you're the best in a particular situation, which is the niche down part, mm-hmm. and have the guts to do that. Second thing is then, because you do that, you have something valuable to offer, which is also desirable, and that helps with creating traction. And the third thing is you're not being seen as maybe a little bit better, but you're actually seen as different. Mm-hmm. That these are three components. If you start to combine and work with these type of things, that is the foundation of well for a business to to to, to create traction. And I've seen pl- so many examples of that of companies that are startup, companies that were in the st- scale up phase. This company actually had Series B uh, already entered, mm-hmm. um, and then later got acquired because of the traction that they got from there, uh, and that was a very favorable uh, favorable deal for them. But it, that wouldn't have happened if they've just continued on their on their journey. Uh, I've seen it also with very large companies already. I mean, uh, recently I've been working with a company that was um, in around a thousand people already, uh, with uh, 70, 80 million, ending up in okay, yeah, uh, the market has changed, the dynamics have changed. There's more competitors coming to the marketplace. Suddenly we are losing our spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you constantly have to be on your marks around that and. Don't go too broad. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it, I mean, I suppose we've sort of talked earlier in the discussion about like how you get um, 
from the beginning what it's important to get right from the beginning in terms of like you know establishing what uh what kind of problem your your, your um, product actually solves but then yep. there's also the issue of when you are more established how do you remain adaptable to the market you know if it becomes, exactly. start to have people who out there who are offering solutions that are very similar and perhaps exactly. do what you're doing a lot better i mean i suppose there's you can you can get away with it maybe if you're a more established brand i mean we have brands who are very trusted and therefore can get away maybe for a little while with offering a, for a little while yeah maybe an inferior and then there's maybe there's pricing involved obviously is another big factor there isn't it but obviously eventually that that may well catch up with you i mean how do you do that is that just a case of just constantly conducting market research Keep, course, you. keep your eyes open. I mean, I talked about like what I call the traction foundation. You know, this this is about the segmentation and the positioning. You know, yeah. really understand and acknowledge that you cannot please everyone. Yeah, and and stay humble to that. Yeah, up to the point where it feels almost. How do you say that? Uh, you start to kind of get the shivers from it, or, or because a lot of companies say that there are two things. First of all, um, we're lo- we're going to lose out on a lot of opportunities. But just the fact that, that you're that you're fishing in a larger market doesn't mean that all the opportunities are going to be yours. You're going to have a lot of in that in that whole space. You're going to lose a lot of. Uh, you're going to have, have low win rates. Let's put it that way, and yeah. and and long sales cycle because you're you're not specifically for them. Um, so it comes down to niching down, offer something valuable and desirable, which is about really being clear about the, the big problem that you solve for them that is critical on their agenda and mm-hmm. then doing it in a way that is different. But that is getting you to, towards attraction. And then momentum should start, but mm-hmm. you also have to use that momentum in order to, to build that reserve mm-hmm. to create resilience in the business. That, that's, that's the other two aspects of, of what I call uh, you know, getting towards predictable traction, the traction momentum and the traction resilience that you have to create. Yeah. And especially especially around the traction resilience is around that you that you use the momentum as you grow the business to mm-hmm. start thinking about what should we do next. And what mm-hmm. a lot of companies do, and that's a disease that's that's hitting in a, hiding in a company, is that when they when they get success, mm-hmm. complacency starts to kick in. Like we're doing great. You look at us, you know. Quarter after quarter, we we're, we're nailing our, uh, our uh, yeah our quotas, um, and the complacency kicks in, and people start to be a little bit like uh, uh, laid back, um, thereby not keeping their eyes on the on the ball, um, maybe cutting down on uh, you know their marketing, um, what they're doing to, to keep the, the the funnel going. Maybe they're cutting down on the R and D that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keep optimizing product in areas where it's not that relevant. Uh, going after shiny objects, without you really nailing. Okay, so what's next in the market? Because the market is always changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've just. I mean, look at what has happened in the last three years. COVID has happened. Economic crisis has happened. There's a war going on. There's supply chain issues uh, all over the place. All of these things have an impact on the market, not only on yourself as a business, but very much on your customers. Their plans change because of this. And as a consequence, their priorities change. And how they think about your solution is changing. Um, and 
I mean, I'm, I'm quoting here from, I think it's from the book from uh, Tiffany Bova, uh, uh, a growth IQ. But by she's saying, the best thing to do at the end is, is to to, st to say, we're growing, let's invest. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what a lot of companies don't do because then they say, okay, let's put it in our own pockets here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sp spend a little bit more here and there and, and not be, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, not be as as yeah. Is it frugal? I'm not sure what the right word is, but yeah, yeah, uh, frugal. Yeah, I think that's definitely the right adjective for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they 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 loosen up, and suddenly they've lost it. And I've seen it all over the place. Hmm. Another thing that is very that's a disease in this area as, as well, or maybe not a disease, it's more of a mindset, is really don't understanding what business you're really in. Hmm. I mean, let's give an example. Um, the company I used to work for produced an ERP solution. Uh, if you look, for example, at Salesforce, they create a CRM solution. That's more of a category they're in, solution category, but that's not the business they're in. Uh, as a business at Unit 4, hmm. if you start thinking, okay, we're in the business of ERP, you lock yourself in in terms of that box. Um, whereby if you think about yourself as, okay, we're in the business of helping our customers grow faster or helping our customers um become more nimble in in a, a uh, in a volatile industry then mm. at that point in time maybe your ERP and the way you approach it is the right is the is the vehicle to do that but as the market is changing you have opportunities to go left and right and it doesn't lock you in and that's what I see a lot of companies get stuck in you know mm. we're in this particular box and the, the market has moved to so look for example at the marketing industry the marketing automation industry like 10 years ago there was no inbound marketing. That market has shifted as well, you know. Suddenly, HubSpot created that market and it it opened up a new wave. And suddenly, everything, all the traction started to move that way. If you were in the other category, yeah, you had a problem, you know. So, boxing yourself too much is mm -hmm. is also something that is uh, is dangerous space. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's really a balance, isn't it? I guess sort of like again, knowing whether to be broad or niche. I suppose if, exactly. if you if you're too niche, somebody can easily come in with something else. If you're broad, you have a lot of different options. At the same time, if you're too broad, then you don't distinguish yourself enough in the market. I suppose is is the is the bar. yeah yes and no yeah because I mean you can have a broad solution and yeah. sell it in a niche way yeah and let's give, let's give an example again of the company I used to work for. We had a horizontal solution, an ERP. It was finance, it was procurement. Yeah. Uh, it was HR, uh, it was project accounting, project management, these type of things. Technically, mm -hmm. any company could use that. Mm -hmm. But and up to the point where we realized, okay, we have to niche down here, we had we had win rates averaging between 10% and sometimes 20%. It wasn't really good. Long sales cycles, not, not really an idea of, of uh, customers didn't really have an idea about how we were different demanding a lot of discount as a consequence because they got five options. Mm -hmm. All the options could technically work for them functionality-wise. We just go for the one that gives us the highest discount. Mm -hmm. Up to the point where we started to realize, okay, there is something special about this suite. And just because everybody can use it, that's not the way we have to go to market. Let's focus on what problems this our uniqueness is solving best. Who's prepared to pay a premium for that? Let's go after those. And we started to 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 create a second a segment in the market that were crossing a number of vertical markets that have similar problems 
And we were just checking, do you have this problem, this problem, or this problem? If not, no problem. You mm. can you can go for other solutions out there in the marketplace. But if you have those problems, we're the only choice. And that's where we started to win eight out of 10. That's mm. where deal cycles started to shorten. That's where discounts started to disappear from the vocabulary and the, and the, and the discussions in the meetings. So you can have a broad solution, but it doesn't mean that you have to go broad to market. Yeah. So it, having that in mind then, because your book is called The the Remarkable Effect. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's kind of about like how how the distinguishing quality that the, the top or the SaaS companies that do the best have about them. Um, so we've discussed how, you know, it's, it's important to sort of have a clearly defined idea of, of what your company does, what the value it offers, but then the, the, the ability, I guess, to kind of adapt as well, um, to create predictable traction, as you said, or sort of utilize the traction that you had, how would you, how do you sum up? In, in a sentence or a few sentences, what you mean in relation to SaaS companies when you say remarkable, what what are what is the cocktail of qualities that they have to have? <laughs> well, it starts with the definition of remarkable. You know, it's worth yeah. making a remark about. It's yeah. uh, it's unusual. It's striking. Mm-hmm. So the moment you do something that has that quality, and it doesn't have to be only in the product, it can also be in other aspects of your business. Mm-hmm. But it's a mindset. You know, you want to do something. The customers are say are going to say, pay attention to this. This is good. This is this is well um, worth making for me. Making a remark about it is worth for you to look into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't have to be having having the the the, the budgets of a Microsoft or a Google or or any company out there. This is something that you can do in any release in mm-hmm. in a blog that you write. It, it can be in a in a sales conversation that you have. Just think about that particular thing. Um, and that that's the, the moment something is remarkable, it stands out. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point, a starting point. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I was just like I said, I, I just recorded a podcast with, with one of my guests, and they said, and the fact that we are competing with the big brands out in the in the world, they have built their reputation already. But we, as a startup, we don't have that reputation, and we have to stand out in our own way mm-hmm. for the right audience. Um, and that's what it really comes down to. But it doesn't mean that it's only of value when you're small, you know, you can, the, the, that quality is relevant in any stage of the journey, whether yeah. you're startup, scale up, whether you've just your, done your IPO. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not only about becoming remarkable, but the most important thing at the end is, and I think we, we, we just touched upon it as well, is how do you stay there? Yeah. Like I said, because everything is constantly changing around you. Just mm-hmm. look at look back in two, three years ago, what was normal then? What was something that we was worth making a remark about then? It possibly mm-hmm. isn't worth making a remark about th- these days anymore because we got used to it. So it's um and it's not about gimmicky, you know? Yeah. It's it's about doing something that's that's of value. I mean what I let me, let me give you an example, make it to make it practical for, for example, around product strategy. Mm-hmm. What we often do in a product strategy is we look at what are the gaps that need to be filled in order to 
to live up to a number of requirements from our customers. Customers are complaining this is not there and that is not there. And if if this would be in, that would would make it that would make it perfect. Mm. Filling gaps, you can just yeah, I spend the whole day with it. Hundred percent of your of your the capacity can go into that. Mm-hmm. And customers are going to say, "Okay, finally, now it's there. Let's move on." They're not going to thank you for it. Mm-hmm. What if you would spend like five percent of your R and D budget on on creating what I call creating the peaks, looking at what particular feature that we have on the on the next six weeks of our of our roadmap, where can we create an experience where people are going to say, "Wow." That was cool. And typically look at the things whereby you're there in the moments where it matters most, you know, because mm. uh, doing it in the, in, in the normal stream, you know, if it's good enough, it's good enough. But when, when the heat is on in, in a company and you're, and you've created something whereby then suddenly you solve it in a way that's, yeah, that, that exceeds your expectation. Mm. Not only does it get noticed, but it's also solving something that is, that is valuable and critical for them. That's where where you get that yeah that word of mouth motion going, mm-hmm. um, and that's like I said, this can be done by anyone. Yeah, so I suppose it's, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the the greatest way I guess to scale, unless you have the funds, is just through word of mouth, through the the strength of the product, right? Yeah, and but it also starts that can potentially with, happen uh, to anyone, can't it? That can happen to anyone if you have a good enough idea, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Why why wouldn't it be possible to have hundred percent fans of your product? Yeah. Well, the good thing is with 100% fans of your product, mm-hmm. first of all, you've you found a, an area in the market where you can make the biggest possible difference. Yeah. I mean, in my book, I'm talking about um, a triangle, page, page number 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very relevant exercise for a company to start honing in like, like what they really are all about. And my recommendation would be just nail or a high in a spreadsheet list all the problems that your customers are dealing with. That keeps them up at night. And then for each of the problem out there, answer three questions. For each mm-hmm. problem, how valuable is it to solve for your customer? On a mm-hmm. scale of one to 10. And then mm-hmm. the next question, how critical is it to, to solve for your customer? And then the last question is, what is our ability to exceed expectation solving this problem? Mm-hmm. And combining them together, it becomes a formula. Value multiplied by criticality, multiplied by, multiplied by exceeding the ability to exceed expectation ends up in a number between zero and a thousand and you want to focus on on the ones that are like above 500 that drives your segmentation because you can start to say okay these are the problems that are our customers that are most valuable and most critical to solve for our customers hmm. who is having those problems hmm. more than anyone else that helps you niche down second thing is it helps you position because you can start to hone in on okay if it's about this and about that that you aspire or that you pro- that you're challenged with this helps you with positioning and standing out in that particular area. And it helps you with your value proposition because you can start to explain where the value is really coming from mm-hmm. and, and articulate it in a way that people understand. Mm-hmm. So that is, it's solving a number of things at the same time. Um, and once you get that in place, it will make marketing easier in terms of the things you write about, in terms of how you create uh, create demand in the marketplace, how you get noticed. It will make it easier for sales. It will even make it easy for R&D to, to decide what goes into the roadmap and what not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is um, something that I would recommend to every person out there to just start there. 
That's really great. I mean, I was I was just about to ask you actually how we could break this down into actionable practical steps, but I think you've done that very nicely. There's, there's plenty more, but this is the one I would start with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that you could actually, you know, you could you potentially, you know, you had a formula in mind for this. Yeah. <laughs> you can form. It is a formula. Yeah. yeah. And but a good thing at the end is it 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 really helps you take it take a step back. And mm-hmm. what you always thought was what you were solving, suddenly you really realize it, that's, that's, not, that's not the case. It will open your eyes, really. Yeah. And it will um, it will help you sharpen things uh, to the point where how you describe the problem is actually when you read it and when you show it to a customer, what it should, what it, what it should do to, just to figure out whether you've got the, the problem right, it should start to give them an itch in terms of, ah, oh, you know, this is so real, you know, it, it, it resonates with me because I'm living this every single day. Can you solve this? Yeah. The moment you don't, you don't get that reaction, that is still too vague, too high over. Um, and that means you have to drill down, keep drilling down. The, the, the number of times in workshops that I ask the question, why and so what? It's like, you, I, you can't count it, but it helps you to drill down to the essence. Yeah, the, the the dreaded so what question I think is, uh, and that can quickly follow. I suppose if somebody could, somebody could say, "Oh, that's cool," but why? You know, so <laughs> you can be like, one hundred percent. Like I, 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 we go back to what I was saying before about. Um, I think just because you can make something and just because it seems cool to you. Um, doesn't mean that it's going to have a space in people's lives ultimately. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's the only thing I think to be to be aware of. I think you pinpointed so so well um, in this discussion. Um, so I thanks so much for this, um, Tan. I think it's I think um, our audiences are really really going to benefit from this from this conversation. Um, I was just wondering, you know, what are some um, resort other resources that audiences can turn to? They want to know more about this, and how can people reach out to you for further advice? Well, the, 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 there's, there's two, two logical options. The first one is my website, valueinspiration.com. And on my website, you can you can instantly, and that's maybe the, the first thing to kind of get to know me a little bit better, subscribe yeah. to my daily SaaS reflection. It's, a, it's one tip a day, one minute read, read uh, that, will, that will give you, that will challenge you in your thinking towards predictable traction. Yeah. Second thing is, if you have more time, read my book. You can download it free from my website. Hmm. And if you want, just want to connect on LinkedIn, you know, if uh, there's not many Tom Dobbers out there, just find me there and just connect. <laughs> it's an unusual name. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's really really um, superb. Thanks so much for this, Tom. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.